We'll wait another minute or two. Begin. So more formally, good evening. I'm Eugene Cash. This is a Sunday evening meeting of San Francisco Insight. Always interesting to see who's here and uh, to see all of you. Uh, yeah. um, beautiful day, evening here in San Francisco. <clears throat> oh, Syra, hi, Syra. <laughs> People are still showing up. We'll begin with meditation. Please take your seat or find the appropriate sitting posture, whether you're on a bench or a cushion or a chair or a couch or lying down. And please let your attention come inside. So beginning with the first foundation of mindfulness, letting yourself become aware of your body as you adjust your posture so that it's relatively upright. <clears throat> and you can be mindful of the body just by feeling it sitting here. You may be able to hear the noises that are happening right outside my house. So just be aware of sound. 
And you may like the sounds or not like the sounds. You don't have to like them, but be aware that you're hearing sound, that sound is happening. And of course, be aware of any reaction you have to the sound, not liking it or liking it, you could. And see what happens as you bring the sound and any response reaction you have to any of the sounds, whether it's the sound of my voice or the sound outside of this room or the sound in your house. Bring it all into the meditation right now. So that even as we begin being mindful of the body and the fact that the body has ears and hears, we can start to rest in the awareness that's knowing it. Being aware of whatever is here, whether it's a sound or a reaction, we start to become aware of what we're aware of and what's aware of what we're aware of, the awareness itself. And it's very natural when we become aware of ourselves sitting here as this embodied awareness to start to be aware of the fact that the body is breathing, basically all on its own. And we can be aware of that we can be aware of the breath. We can be aware of the aliveness that comes with each inhalation, the inspiration of the in-breath, and then the expiration or letting go of the out-breath. And for many of us, the breath is very supportive to begin to stabilize, center, ground us in just this moment. And the simple beauty of now, of the hereness of what's alive in this moment.
See what your happens or what unfolds in your meditation as you stay very present here, very present with this experience, whatever it might be. Very present being aware of the life that's unfolding, even as we don't do anything but just sit here or lie down here. Or if you're sleepy, it's helpful to stand here. Having the great good fortune to have the time and space and place to simply be aware of the embodied consciousness that is sitting here, alive. And as we relax and stay aware, simply open the awareness to be aware of whatever's in the foreground of consciousness, whether it's the breath or the body or the sounds or smells or thoughts or feelings. See what the display of reality presents to your consciousness, moment by moment by moment. Very helpful to relax and be aware now. Now, now,
Uh, we have a few announcements before the talk. I believe Cyrus going to speak. Hi, Cyrus. Yes, thank you so much, Eugene. And I'm so happy to be here uh, tonight. Uh, yeah, so few announcements. Um, first, I want to talk about uh, our practice of Donna. Our Donna practice. Um, and how we support our community and how we support these teachings. Um, so San Francisco Insight, SFI, is all Donna supported. That means then we, as a community, have been sustaining this Sangha ourselves for the past 30 years. This is our Sangha. And Donna, the way that these teachings have been um, transmitted over the past 2,600 years has been through this process of giving this process of generosity. It is just from the heart. So Eugene and all the teachers here at SFI give the Dharma freely or transmit, practice, um, cultivate, um, transmit the Dharma freely. There is no cost. There is no charge to sit down and receive. It's a give-give relationship. It's a circular giving. Um, and so we, us as a community, um, also give and receive. It's this circular giving and receiving that we do. And this has allowed folks like me, folks all across the globe, to be able to receive the Dharma. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. So I love Donna. Love Donna. I love the process of um, generosity, of cultivating um, this understanding in our hearts and how it is that we can walk in the world, how it is that we can um, uh, I suppose um, open to, you know, we open to how it is that we um, resonate, how it is that we give, how it is that we receive, how it is that we just open to this process. That is Donna. That is Donna. It is an openness. It is a freedom. I love it so much. It is a foundation. All things, um, 
all things come. All things come from the opening. So I want to say that first. And I want to mention just a couple other things. Um, and I want to put in the chat our Donna link. Or Johnny maybe has done this. Yes. I put it in the link. Thank you. I love you. Um, and there's a couple more things. So our events. Um, just briefly, we have an event coming up in um, October, the end of October, which is um, SFI's 30-year anniversary celebration. So please be present for this. Please come. We're going to have two events, consecutive events, on the 29th and the 30th. So Saturday, the 29th, we're going to have a picnic in Golden Gate Park, which I'm so excited to um, be at and be a part of. Um, we're going to do some stuff. We're going to have some games. We're going to have food and pizza from Marismendi, which is all of our favorite pizza place. Um, and that's on Saturday. The information is on the website. Um, and I think I'm going to try to paste it there. And, uh, and then the following day, on Sunday, we're going to have a virtual event, uh, which anyone can join from anywhere. And, uh, oh man, you don't want to miss it. This is going to be really great. So we're going to have um, Jack Cornfield is going to say something. Uh, longtime friend of Eugene, uh, our founder, our founding teacher. And uh, there's going to be uh, Frank um, Otazeski, um, Aya Anandabodi, um, Aya Santachita, and, um, and Tanisara. So, star-studded, um, fabulous event. We're going to have all of the um, uh, several members that have been um, a part of SFI for many years and um, speaking um, about all of the wonderful things that San Francisco Insight is doing, especially um, you want to uh, be present for um, <clears throat> a film that uh, documents the uh, the service trip to South Africa that um, San Francisco Insight has been a part of. So don't miss it. End of October. And we'll put that stuff in the chat in a moment. And um, so thank you for being here. Much love to everyone. Thank you, Sarah. Also, our good friend Darrell Williams will be here from New York, who's the head of New York Insight and good, good buddy. And uh, so we'll have a lot of uh, interesting Dharma people with us for this celebration. Um, tonight, tonight, though, we're just here. So I'd like to talk about the goodness or what I've been really thinking about calling the ineffable, uh, let me get the right sound on, the ineffable goodness of our nature, of what we are, the ineffable goodness of people. And it's a little bit of a follow-up to Pam's talk about the uh, ecological crisis and the ignorance of humans in terms of that and the precepts that she talked about last week and the precepts of non-harming means also not harming the earth or not harming our nature, not harming ourselves or what we are, which is we are nature. And so 
Um, so I wanted to talk about that. Uh, I partly I like the word ineffable, which I didn't know what that meant, but it, it's in the dictionary. The word ineffable means too great or too full to be expressed or described in words. Like there's something too much that you can't really talk about it. And so the ineffable goodness of people or the ineffable goodness of our nature is pointing at something, but we can't pin it down with words, but we can keep pointing at it. And the word ineffable, it really comes from the Latin. It means not to be uttered. And in the dictionary, it said, it talked about the ineffable Hebrew name that um, non-Hebrews call uh, Jehovah. And what that means is that in Judaism, you can't write the name of God. It's not allowed, actually. And so if you write God, in, like in English, you would put a G and a dash and a D because you're talking about something ineffable about God or the sacred or the divine or the, or the um, magical uh, component of reality that allows us to be here and be alive and conscious. And so Pam talked about the ecology and what she's been learning. And so, uh, you know, there's so much dukkha, right? There's so much ignorance with war and hunger and greed and the ecological crisis and fear and destruction and racism and all kinds of prejudice and difference. But there's so much beauty here in the world. It's part of the ineffable goodness that's here. And the, the beauty or the delight or the magic or wonder of who and what we are, of, of what, what's here that's conscious. And it's summed up so beautifully, both of them, in this haiku from Isa, Japanese poet, Buddhist, who said, where there are humans, you will find flies and Buddhas. Where there are humans, you will find flies and Buddhas. And I thought of this because part of my inspiration for the talk you'll hear is twofold. One is um, that I have a new gym, which is in the Presidio and right under the, the, the Golden Gate Bridge. So I go and I do my workout and I get done and I walk out. And it's like I can walk for five, 10 minutes at most, and I'm under the bridge. It's just right there. And it's beautiful there. I mean, it's just total blessing to be able to work out there, get done with the workout, and then be free of the workout and be outside in nature. And nature is beautiful. And even the things that nature produces, like the Golden Gate Bridge, is such a beautiful gift of humanity to itself. Right. I mean, you know, I always, I always have so much wonder that somebody designed this and then people made this. I mean, it's just what we, you know, at least for me, maybe for you, we take it all for granted. But of course, there was a time before the Golden Gate Bridge and, and people needed to get across and they only had one way to do it, which was swim or boat, you know, but, uh, but, then somebody people created the bridge because it was needed for society at that time. 
So I go out and I'm out there and I'm walking around around near the bridge, near where I work out, my where my gym is. And there's this sign and I see that I go to see what the sign is. And it's up by, by where the, um, I'm actually away from the water. I'm back from the water a little and where the, the land starts to come down from where the bridge actually is up there. There's land coming down. And it said, and the sign said, Species Reintroduction Project. Species Reintroduction Project. So I'm like, I don't know what a species reintroduction project is. So I continue reading and it said, the Presidio wetlands across West Christie Fields Bluffs. So it's that's they're describing where this is happening. The Presidio wetlands, which I didn't know there was a wetlands in the Presidio. So again, discovering the the um, the beauty of nature, right? And this is along West Christie Fields Bluffs, and it says um, it's then it said this small wetland is a valuable habitat for a number of different kinds of Presidio wildlife. So I caught my interest. I like wildlife. I like to be wild myself a little bit. And then, and it said the year round water here supports two animals locally rare to San Francisco that have been reintroduced with the help of, help of partners at the National Park Service and San Francisco Zoo. And then they describe the two species that have been reintroduced, meaning they were here at one time, and then they are on the verge of extinction. And so the first one was the Sierran tree frog, the Sierran tree frog, like from the Sierras, but Sierran tree frog. And it said, once on the verge of local extinction, now thrives here. In late winter, in early spring, you are likely to hear the iconic songs of male frogs attempting to attract a mate. So you hear the life that's there, that's seeking other life to create life. Like this is happening in all of nature, right? Human beings sometimes think we're the only ones doing this, but all of nature does this. And then the second um, animal. It said the San Francisco fork-tailed damselfly. And I'd never heard of damselflies before, but, you know, so I kept reading. They said the San Francisco fork-tailed damselfly, one of the rarest damselflies in North America, now resides in this restored wetlands thanks to captive breeding efforts at San Francisco Zoo. And then, and it had a picture, I'm sorry, I don't have the picture, but it said the bright blue male damselfly, the bright blue male damselfly uses claps, clasps on his tail to support the emerald green female while her tail contacts the upper abdomen of her partner during reproduction. So what it, and the photo, I'm sorry I don't have that photo because it shows them doing it, as it's sometimes called, or being intimate together, right? Where they, you know, they clasp the tail to support the female. So her tail 
contacts the upper abdomen of her partner and they have babies based on that. And then it continued. It said, both of these animals, both of these animals will help control mosquito numbers through predation. And so you hear the practicality of nature, that it helps keep the mosquitoes down because we have these two new, uh, not new, but restored, reintroduced species now in the Presidio. And somebody thought of all of this to make this happen. Somebody acted on all of this to make it happen. And I always find that just wondrous that people do such good things and that we hear so much about the do, we hear so much about what is wrong. And of course there is, there's so much dukkha. But as I've said many times, it's important to recognize the sukha, the goodness, the, the ineffable wonder of human beings and what, what they do, even when there's difficulty, even when things are hard. And so, as Oscar Wilde said one time, he said, when there is sorrow, there is holy ground. Even when there's dukkha, there's a ground for waking up. And the other very strong inspiration for this talk came from, uh, was inspired by a request I got uh, for a friend of mine whose son is dying at age 35. And so I'm going to tell you the story of Thaddeus, who's a person who is dying. And um, yeah, and Thaddeus is the son of uh, Tuari Sala. And Tuari Sala is a good friend, the head of um, um, Seattle Insight Meditation Society, uh, wonderful teacher, good. I love teaching with Tuari. I'm actually, I won't be here next week because I'll be at Spirit Rock teaching with Tuari. And um, and there was this request that came from somebody else. Tuari didn't do this, but the request said this, and I'll I'll read you the what it said. And it it's a little bit, so stay with me. And the person who wrote it said. I'm writing with a sincere invitation to give in a time of deep need, our beloved Tuere, who has served people her whole life in committees and groups, as a prosecutor for 25 years, as a Dharma teacher, as a leader of Seattle Insight Meditation Society since 2001, um, and also teaching mindfulness and nonviolent communication to men and women in prisons, in homeless shelters, in women's transitional housing, and various BIPOC groups throughout the greater Seattle area. Tuari also serves as a co as a co-chair of the Guiding Teachers Council at Spirit Rock and the co-guiding teacher at uh, SIMS, which is Seattle Insight Meditation Society. And then they the the request tells us that Tuari's youngest son, Thaddeus, was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer in March 2020 when he was just 34 years old. And he was given less than a year to live. 
And given the size and location of the tumor, they couldn't do surgery or radiation treatment. And so currently Thaddeus is in palliative care, right? He's, he's dying, right? There's no cure for this cancer. And so the request was to support Tuere, who has given so much to so many people. And, um, and then there were a few words from both Tuere and Thaddeus. And that's where it really touched me, touched my heart, and really, really inspired me to really consider giving a talk really about Thaddeus and what, and the goodness and beauty of people. And then first, first Tuere said something, and she said, uh, she said, you know, she wanted to talk about his character, and she said, Thaddeus is a bodhisattva. And, uh, and, she said, he believes that this cancer is one of the best things that has ever happened to him because it's given him the opportunity to spend so much time with his daughter. He says that when you face the reality of death, you gain perspective. When you face the reality of death, you gain perspective. And then Tuere speaking, she said, whenever I get stressed out about anything, life, teaching, schedule, finances, he simply reminds me of the secret wisdom that all I need is perspective, right? And the perspective she, he's, Thaddeus is pointing at is that we're going to die. And then she goes on. She says, Thaddeus is an easygoing person. He is extremely funny. His upbeat and positive temperament has enabled me to stay upbeat and positive through all of this. And then she describes what happened for Thaddeus, which is he met a woman last year and they're a match made in heaven. And the woman's name, Angie, was fully aware of Thaddeus's diagnosis and the state of his illness, but still said yes when he asked her to marry him. So now Thaddeus is getting married. He may be married by now, I'm not sure of that. But he said to her, he said, secretly, he said, this is Tuere speaking, secretly, he has said to me, Mama, I can't believe I'm getting married. Did you ever believe that that would happen? And Angie also said to, to uh, Tuere, secretly, she said, Mama, I can't believe I'm getting married. Thaddeus saved my life. And then Tuere says, secretly, I have said to myself, I can't believe Thaddeus is getting married to someone who cares about him as much as I do. And you hear the, the love and the heartfulness and the beauty and all of this. Oh, they did get married. It said, then it says the day they got married was the happiest day of my life. And then she continues. He says, since his diagnosis, Thaddeus has lived with me in my studio apartment, and I've been the sole financial provider for him, Angie, and their daughter, my granddaughter. Now, he and Angie want to move into their own place. I don't know how long Thaddeus will live. Given his current health situation, it's, unlikely, it's unlikely that he will be alive in a year. It's unlikely that he will be alive in a year. I would like to make this uh, his best year ever, surrounded by the love of his wife and daughter. And then she's 
thankful. She's saying all financial contributions will allow Thaddeus and his family to move and will help pay for their rent, utilities, et cetera, et cetera, and will support the payment of future long-term health care services as Thaddeus's health declines. And so this is the story of what, what happened and what's happening for them. And I, you know, I'd never heard the name Thaddeus. I didn't, I wasn't familiar with that name. So I looked it up and it said Thaddeus is both a boy's name and a girl's name of Aramaic origin. And Aramaic, I know, is one of the pre-Hebrew languages that Hebrew came out of. It's also one of the pre-Arabic uh, um, um, languages that, that um, uh, the, those languages came from. And there were other languages that came out of Aramaic. And I actually once had the good fortune to be at a very old synagogue in, um, it was in Israel and it was in the Yemenite Israeli community. And they did the whole service in Aramaic because that's how they'd learned it forever. Right, they didn't do it in Hebrew, they were doing it in the pre Hebrew. It was very beautiful. So, Thaddeus is an Aramaic name of Aramaic origin and it means gift of God, gift of God. And you can hear that he's a kind of gift of God when you hear what Thaddeus has to say about all of this, because he also wrote something in this. And Thaddeus said, I often look back on the time of my cancer diagnosis and remember the crushing feeling I had when the doctor first told me. As I laid on a hospital gurney, I cried uncontrollably, feeling the weight of death and uncertainty. As I laid on the hospital gurney, I cried uncontrollably, feeling the weight of death and uncertainty. Eventually, I found myself in Dr. Hannon's office where she broke down the severity of my cancer. I remember how the doctor was reluctant to say, preparing herself for the inevitable breakdown of tears and or fears. But through the strength and wisdom of my mother, we were strong and prepared for the fight. It was during this time that I connected to God and the spirit world. It was during this time that I connected to God and the spirit world. Through meditation and long nights of conversations, I realized I didn't have to be afraid. In truth, it was my daughter that gave me the strength and willingness to fight. I don't know, I didn't know when she was born how much of an impact she would have on the rest of my life. Then I met my beloved wife. To see and feel her love for me, knowing I was dying was even more empowering. Many nights of crying together because of the pain and fatigue brought us closer together. I could choose to live my remaining days in despair or understand the importance and value of the time I have left. And so you hear the Dharma and all of this, I hope you hear the Dharma, right? Is feeling the impact of our good heartedness, of our love, of our care, and the kind of um, willingness to be here with what's true, with what's true. 
Mm. You know, and understanding we can live with the dukkha and be in despair, or we could understand this is still our life and the importance and value of, of this moment, of the aliveness that's here right now. And then he goes on, he says, as my time draws to an end, I've been blessed with love, support and kindness from those around me. I hope, I hope that I too have lived with love and kindness that I have made an impact on people's lives and that I am not forgotten. I wish for all humankind to see the beauty of this life, even through times of darkness. I wish for all you, I'm repeating what he's saying. I wish for all humankind to see the beauty in this life, even through times of darkness. I pray that those I leave behind are taken care of and can focus on grieving the loss of me, find ways to honor my life and death, and realize no matter what, I'll always be in their hearts. Right? And so he's talking about a different level of truth, a different depth of understanding the permeability of us as nature. He says, love is the key. I'm truly grateful to say I've lived it, experienced it, and gave it to those around me. And so I hope you hear the beauty of, of Thaddeus, the Bodhisattva-ness, as Tuary calls it, and the power of his being real, of practicing, meditating, and praying in his way and discovering the, the ineffable beauty of life. And of course, I can't give this whole talk without just acknowledging that it's the birthday of Mahatma Gandhi, who also knew something about life and death and the beauty of human beings and the potential of our value, of what's possible for us as human beings. Gandhi had his own way of talking about it. He said, he once said, live as if you were to die tomorrow, which of course is what Thaddeus is saying to us also, live as if you were to die tomorrow, says Gandhi. And then he says, learn as if you were to live forever. Learn as if you were to live forever. Keep look, looking, being here in this moment. And so many people have had a taste of what Thaddeus is pointing us at about life and death and the potential of appreciating this moment and our life together. Even an actor, Angelina Jolie, said there's something about death that is comforting. There's something about death that is comforting. The thought that you could die tomorrow frees you to appreciate your life now. Mm. Mm. And so the gift of Thaddeus, it's about paying attention 
living and dying with what's here. Amazing component of our nature to wake up and discover the truth, the goodness, the value, the beauty of what's right here, of what, what is conscious. Annie Lamott, the poet said, she said, there is ecstasy in paying attention. There's ecstasy in paying attention. You can get into a kind of words worthy and openness to the world where you see in everything the essence of holiness, a sign that God is implicit in all of creation. When we could, of course, change your language, we could Buddhize it a little bit. We could say there's an ecstasy in paying attention and being mindful and being aware. And you can get into a kind of words worthy and openness to the world where you see in everything the essence of holiness, the essence of awakening, the essence of freedom, a sign that liberation is implicit in all of creation. So I think I'm going to stop there. And as you know, I like to hear from you. I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to hear what any thoughts about the talk, about the principles of the talk, about the bodhisattvaness of Thaddeus or the importance of seeing we're all going to die and there's something good here right in the moment even. Even when the moment is not good, there's still something sacred here. And please raise your hand. My screen has a raised hand. Sometimes the raised hand is in the reactions. Sometimes you can just wave at me and if I don't see you, somebody will tell me. Or if you didn't like the talk, I'd like to hear that too. If you disagreed with what I said. And I always like to encourage those of you who've never spoken here to please speak. Stephanie, I'm going to switch to speaker view. Um, I am really appreciating what you're saying. And even when I see the pictures of what happened with the hurricane in Florida, the thing that strikes me above all else is nature mm -hmm. is more powerful than anything human mm -hmm. beings can build, and we better respect it. That's the beautiful and love truth. It, and love it, like Pam said last week. Mm -hmm. And one more thing. Sure. This man here is 89 years old today mm -hmm. so 
Happy, happy, happy birthday to your body. <laughs> isn't That's it wild that isn't it wild that bodies go, get to be 89 and you, yeah, you, can, you can just relax in the middle of it? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, happy birthday. Totally great. Well, it's great you brought up the hurricane in nature because there was something else I wanted to do. And I wanted to show you a couple pictures of nature. And I didn't know how to get them in my computer. I'm going to try to put it up. This is a, a greater flamingo. And it, you just see how beautiful nature is. It's just, I hope this is coming across okay. Tell me or yell at me if it's bad. But it's just so, it was from a Greenpeace calendar. And there was also a, a leopard seal resting in Paradise Bay in the Antarctica, right? And he's just hanging out. He's just resting, he or she. <laughs> just, just doing nothing, meditating. And then there was also these mantra rails in coral from Papua, uh, Indonesia. And you just see life and the nature of life. It's so beautiful. There we go. Look at those eyes. They're looking at you. <laughs> and one more. This was my, my favorite. This is a red-eyed tree frog. Mm. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, I mean, I love Picasso and Art and Matisse and all kinds of people, but wild, huh? <laughs> Nature. And the mangrove uh, areas across from Fort Myers which was, you know, nearly totally decimated. Uh -huh. The mangrove forest is as it always was. That hurricane didn't do anything to the mangrove forest. May, may, may we all become mangoes. <laughs> <laughs> Even at 89, an 89-year-old mango here. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Who else? Do we have any other mangoes? I think she said mangrove. Mangroves. Man mangroves? Yeah. Okay. Mangrove. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mangroves. Got it. Mangoes, mangroves. But no, good, Syra. I appreciate the correction, actually. <laughs> okay, I'm going to speak, though. So, um, yeah, mangroves. Um, nature, man, Eugene, thank you so much. Um, yes, uh, one time, when I was, one time, when I was in, um, I went to go visit uh, Belize. I went to go stay and live on a farm um, that was only accessible 
via boat. So just through the river and um, really just some of the most impactful experience in my life in terms of connection with nature. Um, man, we had a storm, a lightning storm that was like, I didn't know if the world was going to break apart. The lightning and thunder mm -hmm. were so strong, just boom, right near me, just boom. Like you've never experienced anything like it. I thought, I didn't know. I was so just taken by the experience, just so powerful. Nature, oh man, unreal. And the mangrove. Mm -hmm. What I was taught while I was there, I was taught to, I taught to weave and, uh, you know, and to, to, to get the, uh, uh, the roots of vegetables, including ginger and uh, purple um, yams and so on. And uh, just learning how, how to do that, how to be, how to live. And, um, and the mangroves are like, there's red mangrove, there's, um, there's white, there's, um, there's blue, and they make she, the one who told me, this, this woman that I know that I love, um, she said that she saw the water, the, the dye from the mangrove, from the root, just going out into the water, like red or purple or whatever. And so you could see that it had these dyeing properties. And so they would just go and cut it and, um, and then use the roots you know, for all of these different purposes. So it's so interesting how we learn to be with, how we learn to, or how, um, you know, how we, how we heal ourselves, how we, um, how we grow. And what I hear, what I hear that's so beautiful about what you're saying is about nature learning from nature. Because of course we are nature. We are. We are totally. <laughs> and we don't think we always think nature is out there somewhere. Like behind Syra is nature, which looks pretty good. But Syra looks pretty good. Oh yeah, totally good. <laughs> Syra is out in nature, but Syra is nature. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Eugene. Okay. Thank you, Amy. Hi. Hi. Something that you said from in the meditation about as we were working with the breath very much ties into what you're talking about nature because um, our most or my most immediate and intimate experience of nature is the breath. And so many of mm -hmm. us who are recuperating from COVID. Mm -hmm. um, have were you know seen and worked with the breath in a new way mm -hmm. because our lungs are damaged. And what I realized this week is that it was a long time that I had taken a really deep, mm -hmm. nourishing inspiration because mm -hmm. I was guarding some sort of an inspirational discomfort. Mm -hmm. And when you said life seeking other life to create life, I mean, working with the breath in this way has reminded me that there's a sacred 
energy in life, which mm-hmm. penetrates mm-hmm. our manifestation, mm-hmm. and that both together is Buddha nature. Mm-hmm. It's so very you, new to me that the both together, the sacred yeah. and the manifestation. Yeah, um, beautiful what you're saying, because of course the word breath originally meant spirit. Yeah. It comes from the same word. And so it is you're breathing in spirit. And yeah. and the spirit is right here. Uh-huh. You are the spirit. And that spirit is talked about in Buddhism as Buddha nature. So you get to enjoy your nature every which way. You get to be binatural. <laughs> That's good. I like that very much. Binatural. Maybe we'll get to be polynatural. For, for me, who happens to be genderqueer, um, <laughs> I'm already binatural. Okay. Well, this, you can even be polynatural then. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it, the impression of air penetrating lung yeah. tissue to nourish Buddha's nature. Yeah. Beautiful. It is. And I've seen that as a pediatrician having to go to, you know, difficult deliveries and where the baby doesn't want to take its first breath because it hurts. Those Mm -hmm. wet lungs have to pop open and you see such a fight for life, such Mm -hmm. a life force. And I would yell at the babies, breathe. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it hurts, but you've got to pop those lungs open and, you know, get that sacred energy into your circulation mm-hmm. it's nature it's uh it's so amazing thank you beautiful thank you okay Thomas. hi eugene and everybody uh the story hi. you told of thaddeus um really touched me um Obviously, the touching part was his acceptance of his impending death. And it's, it's hard to imagine that um, when... Yeah, wait, 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 just one thing. You said, what did you say? How did you say it? You just said, of course, the part is about his impending death touched you. It didn't, that's not necessarily uh, of course. Not everybody has going to feel it differently. So I just want to acknowledge it touched you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I'm glad it um, touched you, really. It touched me also. But, yeah, we just, yeah, want to be clear when we say things, what's true. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, because earlier in the day, I had a tiny little splinter in my finger, and I got it out and drew some, bl- I mean, this, tiny thing and i'm like oh my god this split which is obviously nothing compared to getting a cancer diagnosis yeah uh, that's true and in the moment it's your splinter it's your blood it's like shit you know or whatever because you don't want to downplay your own dukkha even though you want to have perspective about it Right. On one hand, it is. It's just a splinter. Well, it's relatively trivial, obviously. Yes. Yeah, splinter yeah. in the thing. Although, I, right, at the time, it's like, oh my God. 
Yeah. Um, and well, you, I was you thinking- see how, You see how sensitive we are as human beings. And it's one of the beauties of this ineffable wonder of how sensitive we are. And we want to be, we want to be sensitive. We don't want to cut off the sensitivity. And we also want to have a bigger view. So we see the whole picture, which you, you keep saying it's just a splinter. Yeah. And I was thinking about, um, you know, if I got a, cancer diagnosis and it it would be devastating obviously and it would be hard to have the equanimity that okay so wait wait no because you're saying obviously you don't know let's see what happens if you get a cancer diagnosis you well my projection is yeah i would be devastated it's like you know, life, getting a life sentence, getting a death sentence. And, um, and yet um, there, it probably there was something that happened with Thaddeus. I don't know, but I, sounds like there was some kind of transformation of um, humility or acceptance or, and, I mean, I've had, so I can understand that when something like that happens, that there'd be an incredible uh, shift in the mind and in priorities and all that, that somehow he's able to accept it and actually blossom. And it's, it's an amazing story. It, it is, and it shows what's possible for us as human beings. And, it, and what's possible for us is possible for all human beings. It's not just Thaddeus. Let's see what happens if you get a cancer diagnosis, because we don't know, even though our mind fears the future or what we think will happen. But I want to keep pushing this part, part of, we don't know what will happen. Because And he did. He described his weeping uncontrollably when he found out, you know, and his, his heartbreak about it, which is, of course, totally normal. And then something landed, something calmed down as he lived with it, right? He didn't get away from it because you can't get away from it. Right. And, and that has an impact on all of us because I would imagine everybody here has had something difficult happen they couldn't get away from and it changed them and they were able to work with it. And that's, I often quote Trungpa Rinpoche who of course had his whole world taken away from him as a young man, you know, in his teens and he you know, he had to leave Tibet and walk over the mountains in the snow to escape the Chinese government. And he always said, everything is workable. Everything is workable. Yeah, thank you, Eugene. Thank you. Okay, John. 
You got to unmute, John. That it helps. We like seeing you, but we want to hear you also. Yeah, you're not unmuted yet, John. It's usually in the bottom left-hand corner. There's a mute button and you can unmute. There we go. There you... that? That's good. Okay, I was pressing the wrong button. Well, hello from Vancouver, Eugene. Oh, hello to Vancouver. <laughs> yes, hello. Um, the idea of aging and facing into death is something that's been a reality uh, for me and I'm sure for many of us, several of us. Um, and I've had a cancer diagnosis. Um, and I last week was sitting with a friend who has a terminal cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting on the beach, uh, looking out at the ocean and talking about uh, our fears and, and what we knew. And mm -hmm. um, what we came to understand was that um, aging, the process of aging, because he's been struggling with his diagnosis for about eight years now, and mm -hmm. reached the stage, is that his body is going through all these changes and, mm -hmm. and it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what aging is in a way that there's on one plane, there is mm -hmm. this uh, aging of the body and things happen. Um, but that's not what aging necessarily is all about. Mm -hmm. the, the real core, the real heart of aging is the development of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And that facing death is an important um, step mm -hmm. in encountering wisdom. From that point on, you have to kind of look and say, what's important here? And, and what do I know? And mm -hmm. how can I transmit what I know? to mm -hmm. those I love, um, mm -hmm. how open can I be to love? All those kinds of things are, are developing wisdom as mm -hmm. part of aging. And then you have to pay attention to what your body's doing or not doing and failing to do and falling apart. But that's yes. the core of what it's all about. Beautiful. Yeah. Ding. <laughs> Ding is good, meaning. Uh, really, no, thank you. It's just true. I mean, it's part of the wisdom of aging, which is undervalued in our society. Uh -huh. And it's so important because uh, most of us will get old and, and die. I yeah. mean, you, the few of you who won't, well, you'll, you can do your thing. But so far, I haven't met anybody who, who, have, who won't. <laughs> Sarah's <laughs> pointing to herself. She's not going to get it. She's just young. <laughs> and that's what everybody who's young thinks. <laughs> I just want to put yes, I I, uh, I feel so blessed. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Eugene. I relate to what all the things you're saying, and I have had you know a workshop with Tuera, so I have an appreciation of her. And I want to just throw into the pot um, how. Uh, I had a, uh, I was driving from Santa Rosa to Sebastopol 
and going to see a longtime friend that I haven't seen for a long time, driving in my car, which I don't drive that much anymore, but I'm driving, it's daytime. And, and all of a sudden the engine gets harder and harder to, 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 to go. And finally it just stops. And it's on a two-way busy road, Highway 12, going out past Sebastopol. And, um, and, and then there the car just stopped and it's smoking. And a gentleman in a, in a truck behind me came immediately, stopped the truck, came immediately to me. And he acted as though he was there to be a friend to me right away. Mm-hmm. And that I was to stay still. And it looked as though the car was on fire. Mm-hmm. And it was going to have to be towed away. So mm-hmm. everything changed at that moment, at that one moment. Yes. And I had the experience of kindness mm-hmm. from so they had to get a policeman out there because it was one way traffic all of a sudden. Sure. I'm taking up one lane. It was just one lane. So the police were there from different places. The tow truck had to come. And I was there for at least two hours waiting for the tow truck. And I highway patrolman sat in his car right by me waiting for the tow truck mm-hmm. and the whole time i felt people are so are putting themselves out all for me nobody did or said anything to indicate that why was i driving a car that was in such bad shape or whatever mm-hmm. so i had that very i don't know what what words yeah. to put to it but no, you're seeing the goodness of people. Yeah. And, you know, and the goodness of people really just doing what people do, which is most people are really good. Yeah. And yeah, beautiful. And I hope you get a better car. <laughs> well, after it's after $5,000 worth of uh, repair. <laughs> it's better. Huh? <laughs> Good. Well, I hope you don't get stuck again. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. And Sarah, next time when you want to talk, just yell at me because I don't see you waving your hand. Just yell at me. Okay. 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 Great. Okay. Take care. And I'm going to come back to John and just wanted to make sure. John, is there anything else you would like to say? No, I, I think not. Uh, okay. It's a, it's a privilege and a treat to be here tonight. And thank you, Eugene. Great. I appreciate your wisdom very much. Great. Thank you. And I appreciate the wisdom of your aging and of all of us who are aging, including Virgil. And, uh, and um, I think that's about it. And just to remind people, I don't read... Uh, chats during when I'm teaching. So if you want me to do something, you have to raise your hand and tell me, please. Okay, I'll we'll do a little sharing of merit, and then I'll ring the bell. Now I'm now I'm reading the chats. Okay, please say something about that wanting to be remembered. Of our nature, the same as when the Buddha says our minds are radiant. Um, He's pointing at the radiancy, which is indescribable of what's here. That's what ineffable means. Yeah. So I'm going to keep going though now. So um, taking a moment. Before you go, can you put in the chat? I I don't see it to Laurie's where we could send uh, money. 
Um, you know, I'm not even sure if it's still happening, but oh, I could, okay. I'm happy to, to give Post me a it. second. Let me just see if I can. Yeah. Okay. Here it's a GoFundMe, and okay. I'm going to, let's see if this will work here. Uh, let's see if we can do this. Uh, I want to do to everybody though. Everyone in the meeting. Uh, no. Oh, let's see. Yeah, oh no, it's a new update. Uh, a time of deep need. Hmm. Yeah, see, it says Thaddeus and, and uh, uh, Tuary and Thaddeus. Um, you should be able to click on that. Uh, maybe I, maybe, I'm not sure what, to, oh, I know what I'll do. Here, wait, I'm going to give you one quickly. Wait another second. I think Johnny just put it in. Yeah? Is that great. theirs? Yes. Is that, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny. Okay, let me go back to... Yeah, and yeah, if you, and there's been a lot of help, and if you can help, great. Uh, okay, so just taking a moment to reflect on our good fortune to be here, to be able to, to be alive, and to be able to practice together, and to um, wake up together, to discover the beauty of this ineffable consciousness that's right here, looking at you. <laughs> and looking out of you. And so uh, may that goodness go out in every direction and touch beings in every realm. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, from misunderstanding. And everybody taste the ineffable beauty of our nature and the nature of this world that we are part of. May all beings be free. And I won't be here next week. I won't be here for a few weeks. I'm teaching a retreat. And so Syra uh, will be here next week teaching. And then the week after, Pam Weiss is teaching, and then I think I'm back after that. Okay, everybody, be well. Take good care of this world that you are part of. Okay, Thank see you. you. See you somewhere. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.